0: Hello, beautiful people. We hope you're well. We'd like to take a moment to talk about the importance of mental health. We know 2020 did us wrong in many ways, and because of it, we are surviving through trauma, depression, anxiety, and more. Many of us had this before the pandemic even started. Now, more than ever, mental wellness is important. We need you to know there is help and there is hope. Soundtrack City has recently donated to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We hope you will consider doing the same to a similar charity. Check on your loved ones. Let them know they are not alone. We're here because of the music we are banding. You like Huey Lewis on the news? Hey guys, it's Frankie. And it's Misa, and if you hear the sound of Tic Tacs falling on the floor, it's just my dog walking around.
1: Alright guys, I know that we've been MIA for a little bit and I just wanted to apologize about that. Um, we've had a lot going on personally but we have also been diving deep into one of our most favorite women-packed female-empowered films that I saw like the week it came out. I don't know Misa did you see the week it came out last year?
0: I this is one of the few movies that I actually saw in a theater in 2020.
1: Yes, this actually, I think this was the last movie I saw right before everything closed, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, this was like right at the cusp of everything.
1: Yeah, and so um, this was like right, right before the pandemic, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I loved everything from the soundtrack to the acting to the filming, the cast. Is phenomenal, and I can go on and on about it. I know Misa can, too, which is why we chose it.
0: Yes, and so in celebration of Women's History Month, we decided to combine our powers once again, (laughs) and we are doing a collaborative episode about the soundtrack to Birds of Prey. AKA The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Whoop, whoop.
1: <laughs> I love it. Every time you say, it, like, I hear the whole title, I think of how do you spell mercenary? <laughs> She's hilarious.
0: Mercenary. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, just some quick backstory on Harley Quinn in case. Maybe you're unfamiliar with the character, or maybe you're unfamiliar with her origins. So, one major misconception is that Harley Quinn first appeared in the Batman comic books. And that's just not true. Mm -mm. She was actually specifically created for Batman the Animated Series, which was this awesome cartoon in the 90s. I know I watched it every day. Did you? I did. Yeah. I loved Batman. I loved it so much. That show is fucking cool shit.
1: I have always been more of a Marvel girl, but I have always been drawn to Harley and the Joker. Um, and so when Harley did come out in the 90s, even though I'm not a huge fan of Batman, I watched it religiously because Harley is just like such a badass character and she's fucking smart. And I love her.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. And so she was specifically created for that show because the show creators felt like Joker needed a sidekick to play off of. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to be fair, if you're familiar with the comics, we do know that Joker had Gagsworth around as an accomplice. But I guess it just it was just going to be more fun with a female. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so. Sorry for all those Gagsworth fans out there. Did I exit? All ten of you. <laughs> I don't know how many of them there are. <clears throat> Any hooters? So, what's funny is that the appearance of Harley Quinn in Batman the Animated Series was just supposed to be a one-off. She was just supposed to be in one episode, one time, and that was it. And so, obviously, that did not <laughs> end up being the case. She ended up getting brought back because she was so popular. And I mean, honestly like it it really worked out as far as like Joker always needing like that mainstay sidekick. So the inspiration for Harley Quinn came from a man named Paul Dini who one day was at home flipping through channels and he ended up stopping on an episode of Days of Our Lives and on this particular episode he spotted an old friend of his named Arlene Sorkin. And she was playing a character in a dream sequence. And in the dream, she's a court jester. And this was his inspiration for Harley Quinn. That's awesome, I didn't know that. And what's what's even funny about that is that Arlene Quinn actually came up with the idea for that dream and that scene. So she kind of, like, willed Harley Quinn into existence with her own idea.
1: That's amazing. I didn't know that.
0: That is pretty cool. So I thought it was awesome that her name was Arlene, and she ended up inspiring a character that they named Harlene Quinn. <laughs> and on top of that, she was her voice for yeah. the animated series, as well as the subsequent shows like the new Batman Adventures, Gotham Girls, and TV movies, and the video games.
1: That is so cool. I knew it was the original voice, but I didn't know it was based off of her idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is just, like, amazing. Because, like, think, like, if she had never pitched that idea, and they had never, like, thought it was a good one, and they wrote it into the script, and then, like, she had never would have acted in that scene. That scene never would have existed. Like, Harley Quinn wouldn't exist. That's crazy. If you go back and listen to, like, very early Harley Quinn, you'll see that her voice wasn't yet really developed. Um, And so it wasn't until uh, Arlene kind of sought inspiration from Judy Holliday, whose voice was a lot higher pitched and cutesy and like, I can find a clip on YouTube, I'm sure. Uh, But if you go back and listen to Judy Holliday and see some of the footage and how she spoke, you hear Harley, you hear where Harley came from. And it's really cool.
1: love it we wouldn't have had the pudding or mr J without her
0: (laughs) right right and so uh yeah so because she was so popular she became a series regular and she was always by joker's side unconditionally in love with him uh and you know eventually at the end of Uh, The new Batman Adventures, we find out that she worked as his psychiatrist at Arkham and he manipulated her into loving and joining him. Mm -hmm. So, true love. uh, (laughs) But our girl Harley Quinn in 2020 decided, fuck this, and her and the Joker have broken up. Man.
1: But she takes it with stride, right?
0: Yeah, she handles it really well. Um, So um, before we get into the music, I just wanted to name a few of my sources. Some of the sources that I used include Wikipedia, Secondhand Songs, Spotify, IMDb, and B Infuso's channel on YouTube.
1: Do you have any? I do. I used um, Top 10 Nerd, 101 Facts, Young Hollywood, um, Tune Find, What Song, Screen Rant, and... Um, what culture, as well as hey alma. Okay, so this was directed by a woman who wanted a badass woman-filled movie, Kathy Yan. Um, as far as my research shows, this was her first like big film that she did. She did have a movie called um, Dead Pigs that was more of like a Sundance film, um, so it wasn't a um, feature film. So this was considered based off of what I found more of like her huge directorial um, debut. Is that what you found also, Misa?
0: Yeah, yeah. I found that um, so far, a lot of her work has been short films. Mm -hmm. And so yes, this was her second full length film. And this was, I'm not gonna lie, this was the first one that I recognized. Yes. (laughs) Like, Like Birds of Prey is the only movie of hers that I know that I've heard of if that makes sense.
1: Uh absolutely. I haven't heard any of the other ones. Um I know Dead Pigs was a comedy drama that did, you know, very well for its kind of inter um independent screenings, but um I I haven't watched it so I can't personally speak on it. Um but she is a director, screenwriter and producer. Um did you watch Dead Pigs or see any parts of it?
0: No, I no, I I barely heard about it when I was researching Kathy M. Yeah. Um, who, while her filmography may be small now, but I think come two, three, five years from now, you know, she's gonna be taken over because she's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I haven't seen Dead Pigs, but I, when I looked at the cast, I saw that Zazie Beats is starring in it. Mm-hmm. And so that just kind of intrigued me. And then the plot, it's, I, I didn't realize it was a comedy drama, like you said, because the plot sounds very much like, um, one of those, like, environmental dramas, you know?
1: Exactly. I'm, I am I. want to watch it just because I feel like the name is kind of, I don't want to say misleading, but kind of one of those, like, don't judge a book by its cover, like, don't judge a movie by its title type thing.
0: Like Naked Lunch? E- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of two things wrong with that title. <laughs>
1: So that is exactly like I definitely need to watch it. Um, but like you said, Kathy is new in the game, but she is incredibly smart. I mean, just based off of Birds of Prey, she is very thoughtful, very intricate. Her style is whimsical, but it makes sense. Like, she's not skipping beats with the storyline. Like, I, I thoroughly loved her directing in this movie
0: yeah i i like the direction that she took this film like yes this is happening in the dceu technically Mm -hmm. um and so but it's interesting to see like this is a side of gotham that we don't get in those other films this is a different tone than we would see in the other films and i you know while everything is canon and while it does follow, like, the Suicide Squad story, which includes Ben Affleck as Batman, which follows those films, like, I like that she didn't just create this, like, cookie cutter of a film just so it could fit in with those. Like, she, she used a lot of color and vibrance, and it's a very clever script.
1: Yes. And she did a great job of, like you said, utilizing those colors and really making it her own because, of course, she could have done everything in those blacks and, you know, that very dark scheme like our traditional DCEU movies have. They kind of have like that, I don't know how to word it, kind of like that gray film over all of the directing. Like everything is kind of very dark or gray washed almost, in my opinion, Um, even from the earlier DC movies that I've seen um I love how colorful and vibrant it is and I think it just makes sense because of Harley
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and so I think Kathy was just a genius to do that so um and she did a great job working with our cast to create this film and I know that our main girl Harley had a lot of say so in what this film would look like and she is played by Margot Robbie who started our Harley off in Suicide Squad. And ever since playing Harley, I know Margot was like on top of wanting Harley to have more of an independent film and letting people know more about her backstory. And I think the audiences were, you know, just unanimous with that. Everyone wanted Harleys because Margot's, she stole Suicide Squad, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, she's, she's one of the better... Components of it. <laughs> I don't like Will Smith, so that's not fair to add. <laughs> I don't think I'm a fair opinion on that movie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't I, like Will Smith.
1: I hear you. I hear you. So um, I think that her um, Margot and Kathy did a great job working together to really make sure that this movie was done with justice. And I know that Kathy took a lot of insight from Margot, and everyone trusted Kathy. Um, And Kathy was, based on some of the um, interviews that I watched, um, Kathy was very receptive to what their thoughts and opinions were as well um, about what they wanted the characters to do or what they felt that the characters should do at that time, which I think is, that's kind of like a hard thing to do as a director sometimes because you might have such a kind of rigid picture in mind. Um, And to me, that almost makes you more of just a better director because you're willing to take a a step back and see it from someone else's perspective or see it from someone else's lens almost. And sometimes we can mesh those together. Sometimes we might find a better way in, you know, someone else's view. And so I think that's that's really good, especially for a new director um, who is trying to get their name, you know, out there. And with a big movie, too. So Harley is played by Margot Robbie. We also have Rosie Perez playing Detective Montoya, we have the Huntress, or Helena Bertinelli, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Um, my favorite, Dinah Lance, or Black Canary, played by Journey Smollett, and my, oh my gosh, just, he is phenomenal in this movie, the villain, Roman Sionis, like, he is just disgusting and hilarious at the same time. Mm. Played by the fantastic Ewan McGregor. Daddy. I'm sorry, what? <clears throat> okay.
0: Dude, oh my God. My panties just turned into water. Mm, mm, mm. Like, my. he First of all,
1: he doesn't age.
0: My goodness. Oh my God. That man is so yum. I'm so talented. Uh, I just, I love, I love him in everything. Like, if I were ever to watch the new Star Wars, I would watch them because he was, I think, Obi-Wan or someone. I don't know. (laughs) The one with the beard.
1: You know, just kind of an important role in a Star Wars franchise.
0: I would listen to that man read the instructions for a bookcase. Like, (laughs) hmm. Yes. He's
1: just like, he's an amazing actor and he's been in so many different types of films.
0: I know. He's I so diverse. Fine.
1: Yes. I just, I absolutely love him. And he is absolutely hilarious as Roman. Like, just his little one liners. <laughs>
0: Ew. Oh my god, yes, my favorite one is when he's showing Dinah the shrunken head. <laughs> and he's like, wait, wait, no, I wrote it, I wrote it, hang on, I'm gonna get it right. Of course you did, it's hilarious. He says, he's like, look at his little ears, he's like a thousand years old, and now he's like an ornament in my living room. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that shit. I think I was alone in the theater and I cracked my shit up. (laughs)
1: He's absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Ew. I love it. He's so funny. (laughs) It's not a party without a little drama.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. He's, but he's so despicable at the same time. Still kind of lovable and hilarious. Like you said, like hilarious. And it's just, Man, he's good. He's good in this one. You love to hate him.
1: Yes. Like just when you think he's gonna have like a oh, he's kind of good. Like he has a heart when they're um killing that one family and uh he's like he was at a snot bubble. Ugh, I changed my mind.
0: <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Cut it off.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just like I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh we also have Ella J Basco as Cassandra Kane. And then Chris Messina as Victor, I always say his name wrong, Ziaz, I never say it right, say it for me.
0: Victor Zaz.
1: Thank you, Zaz. It doesn't matter how many times I watch it, I always want to mispronounce it when I see it spelled out. (laughs) Um, This movie is packed with great actors and actresses um, and All of them are just, they're so phenomenal and so strong. Anyone that you want to specifically talk about besides Ewan?
0: When I realized that Journey Smollett was Michelle's friend from Full House, it blew my fucking mind.
1: Oh, yeah. I had to tell Angel and Taryn. They were both like, she looks so familiar because Taryn's on her like rewatching like the great 90s, you know, sitcoms. Um, and she's like she looks so familiar and I was like that's the little girl who's friends with the twins in full house and they were both like what dang I mean she is gorgeous and her body is phenomenal
0: it's just so funny to me when I when I find out stuff like that because all I can think of is like Man, I grew up watching that show and it was so innocent and G-rated and shit. And now she's on this fucking R-rated superhero movie like kicking ass and fucking, it's just amazing. When I first saw it in theaters, I had the same thought. I was just like, man, I feel like I should recognize her. What else has she been in? And And so then I found out, that it was fucking, her name was Denise on Full House. I was just like, what? I feel like I still can't believe it. I, I can't believe that's the same girl. I can't believe she has the same memories right. as the little girl on Full House. That just is insane to me.
1: All right. So, guys, not only is this cast awesome like we just went over, but the soundtrack is freaking phenomenal. And I will say, Misa and I actually had a hard time, like, figuring out which songs we wanted to cover because it is so jam-packed with awesome music. Um, The album itself was very important, Kathy stated, that she wanted to embody and basically motivate the cast as well um, and have a quote-unquote sort of musical girl gang, and she was insistent that the entire soundtrack be all female to match this women-empowered world that is seen in DCEU, uh, Birds of Prey. Um, the album was very well received and it debuted at number 23 on the US Billboard 200. Um, it did chart in other countries as well, like Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and Switzerland. It did go ahead and win the 2020 American Music Award for Top Soundtrack. One of the songs, my very first song that I'm going to cover right now, um, is not actually featured in the movie itself but it was used as the birds of prey trees I cannot talk today I'm so sorry
0: You're it was fine. used
1: as the birds of prey teaser trailer number one um and this song just really spoke to me and so Misa agreed so graciously <laughs> to let me go ahead and cover this one um <laughs>
0: i hate when she says that guys because it's her show too
1: <laughs> i know i know i'm sorry i know you could just be
0: like misa bitch i'm doing this <laughs> song and if you have a problem with it okay. you can fuck right <laughs> off <laughs> i'm really not because i don't want to make people upset so <laughs> no one's going to be upset that you're talking about know, you're right the yeah yeah yeah
1: there we go okay and i love it harley quinn meets yeah yeah Yeahs. i'm about it In the Birds of Prey teaser trailer number one, we do get the awesome song, Heads Will Roll, that is written by the indie rock band Yeah Yeah Yeahs. Guys, I remember jamming them in high school, and so when I found out that this was their song, I was like, oh my god, I have to cover this one. They are um, an American indie band that formed in New York City in 2000s. so Misa, when we were listening to them with MAPS, they were just coming out, which is awesome. Um, they are a three-piece band composed of vocalist and pianist Karen O, who is gorgeous, Guitarist and keyboardist Nick Zinner and drummer Brian Chase. Um, sometimes they do have other people who join them um, when they are touring or doing concerts, um, but typically it is just those three, and it is always those three. And their awesome music videos. Um, they have they met while they were in New York at New York University, um, and they have released several CDs. None of them have truly rock the charts because they are indie and they refuse to like sell out from that title but they do have some very well-known songs um and music videos that have gone on to win awards and they've been nominated even for some uh even for grammys which is really cool because not very many indie bands get that prestigious you know
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um my favorite song was one one of their earlier albums maps and it is considered i have to put this in here one of the 500 greatest songs of all time. it is at 386 that doesn't matter because it's still on there and it is awesome if you guys haven't heard maps please go listen to it it's amazing It's one of my absolute favorite songs um and that is when i fell in love with yeah yeah, yeah. they released the album it's blitz in 2008 and that is where this song has will role comes from they did re-release the song so the one that we hear is actually a remix um, and it is called the a-track version um, a-track is a Canadian DJ turntablist record producer and record label executive um, who did take this song and um, remix it and it is fucking phenomenal so um, hopefully Misa can we put both of them on the list would that be okay?
0: Oh yeah. Okay, yeah, perfect. Definitely.
1: Um he is up and coming, but he did get nominated for um something called the Rober Award music. I'm not really sure what that is, um, for best remix of a song in 2009. Um in that same year, their album from the Ya yeah Yas yeah yeah also got nominated for a Grammy Award in for Best Alternative Music Album from its Blitz so Headswell Roll is And has been covered by a couple different DJs, um, including Passion Pit, Tommy Sunshine, Little Vampire, James Iha. And then there's an unknown artist who covered it as well. Um, I believe they were more like a fan base. And they released their version on YouTube. But I had a lot of trouble finding any kind of information on them. So I'm going to send that to Misa and she can post it on the blog. Um, I do I was not able to find it on Spotify or anything like that though so just a heads up there Um, and one fun fact about heads will roll is that Karen O actually did write the song from the viewpoint of Queen of Hearts in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and I think that just fits with harley because she is a badass bitch and she is finding her place she is finding that she is the queen she is and she does not need to be joker's side piece anymore and that is why i love this song i love that it's empowering and i absolutely love that they chose this song to tease us with the awesome trailer to go and watch Birds of Prey.
0: It's a really perfect music selection. It's kind of sad that it wasn't in the actual film. Yeah. (laughs) But it is on the official soundtrack, and it was in the teaser, so that's cool. It is. And Karen O is just a goddess. Oh, God, she doesn't age. She's amazing. She is amazing. She also did the soundtrack for her. Yeah. Another one of our faves. Love, love all around for Karen. Oh,
1: yes, she's underrated, but you know, she's starting to come out. And I just, I'm really, I love when bands like stay true to themselves and don't, I don't mean it like sell out, I don't mean it that way, but you know what I mean? Like they really stick to their roots, I guess is a better way to say it, right?
0: Yeah, like a lot of bands evolve, but some of them lose sight of who they are. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, and I think the yeah yeah yeahs are are they're very much moralistically and structurally like the same band that they were. Oh my god, what eighteen years ago? Oh my god, <laughs> we're old. God,
1: you know what though? It's okay because I'm fabulous. You're fabulous. We're great. It's okay. We're like wine.
0: Who are, you, who are you talking to
1: you and me we're tequila <laughs>
0: <laughs> so sorry um that's you're so sweet you're hilarious
1: you with the worm in it the really expensive one
0: <laughs> wow okay careful my fine lines can hear you
1: <laughs> shut up <laughs>
0: All right, yes. Um, I do love that song. Um, I remember the music video has, like, references to Michael Jackson.
1: It does, yeah. Oh, gosh, I can't wait to see it on the blog, guys.
0: Yes, it will be on the blog. I can't wait. So we go into our movie, and the opening credits begin with a short musical version of a song that will be featured later on in the film. And we hear Harley, and she's narrating, and she says that they say, if you want to tell a story right, you got to start at the beginning. So she starts like with her conception. (laughs) And so then we learn a really quick little (laughs) snippet all accompanied by an animated version of her life, which is actually really cool to see. And so we learn about her backstory as Harlene Quinzel. And we find out that her dad traded her for beer, but she came back. So he dropped her off at a church and sent her to live with the nuns. And she ended up getting a Ph.D. and she became a psychiatrist. And that's when she met Mr. J. And we all know who Mr. J is. I don't think we need to say his name. Um, But (laughs) it's the Joker. (laughs) It is.
1: Come on, guys.
0: She says she fell hard for him. She says she fell out of a plane without a parachute, riding your dumb fucking face hard for him. And so she admits, like, she was the brains behind the Joker. She was the one who was plotting all his schemes, and he was just the one carrying them out. So she was the badass broad behind the successful man. And one day he just decided he didn't need her anymore, and they broke up. Sad face.
1: It is sad, because I just feel like they were, like... It just, it breaks your heart. It makes you, like, even question, is love real?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. Yes, you're right. (laughs) But it also depends on what perspective you have of their relationship.
1: And that's true because you don't see that he was basically using her and taking advantage of her.
0: Yeah, he was very manipulative. And, um, like, you could tell that the love was very one-sided. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we don't have to get into it today. So, um, we get this great little montage of her, which was set to I Hate Myself for Loving You by Joan Jett, which Frankie has previously covered in another episode. What movie was that that it was in?
1: Ready Player One.
0: Yes, that's right. So, go back and listen to Hold Me Closer Player One if you want to hear more info on that song. Yeah. Um <laughs> And so we see Harley just coping with the breakup. She cuts off all her hair. Then she immediately regrets it. I think every girl can relate. Yes? No? <laughs> oh,
1: my God. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yes. She adopts a wild hyena from uh, an animal trafficker. And she names him Bruce after that handsome Wayne guy. <laughs> and uh, we see her eating all the junk food. Like, all that she's in her onesie. She's comfy, she's crying, and she's got her squeeze cheese. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and then she ends up finally deciding like she wants to do a roller derby to get out some of her aggression and make some friends, and she just starts fucking girls up because Harley fucking Quinn. She's badass.
1: Badass. Yeah, like that is her sport. Yes, yes. <laughs> so after um, she meets these friends she decides to go out with them and they go to the black mask club where she is plastered drunk um but she knows roman sionis or emma mcgregor aka black mask is the owner and this is like the most poppin place to go in gotham city and of course there is always someone like people love to hate harley and there's always someone who just thinks she's some dumb broad And they are basically insulting her. And she ends up, he tells her to sit the fuck down. And she does just that as she jumps on his leg, smashing it, breaking his leg. And this is when uh, Rowan says, it's not a party without a little drama. Am I right? (laughs) You hear him ask Harley if um, her better half is coming. And she's like, oh, no, he can't make it. This is where we learn that Harley hasn't quite told everyone that she and Mr. J are no more. There are several reasons for this. The main one being that it kind of gives her protection to be his girl. You know, she can jump on people's legs and break them and shit won't be done, Mm -hmm. right? Instead, the owner buys everyone drinks. And, you know, that's how it works because people are terrified of the Joker. So she is kind of playing her cards smartly here. Hasn't said anything. And we see her end up just drinking, drinking, drinking. And all of this is done to an amazing, I love them good montage. And I'm so glad that Kathy included one. We get a badass club montage to Harley just drinking shots and left and right to Boss Bitch by Doja
0: Cat. I'm a bitch and a boss, and I shine like boss and my bitch.
1: I'm a boss. I'm a bitch and a boss, and I shine like boss, and my bitch. I'm a boss. I'm a bitch and a boss and my shine like boss and a bitch. I'm a boss. Back to Miss Doja Cat. Love her. Okay, so Doja Cat, whose real name is Amalaratna Zandile Zlamini. Okay. Or professionally known as Miss Doja Cat. And just fun fact, she did pick her name after spending lots of time smoking weed. And she thought her name, um, you know, Doja, weed, being around weed culture. Um, And then she said she thought it was always very feminine and cutesy. So she added cat onto it, which I love. Um, Miss Doja Cat is one of our very well-known black American Jewish rappers. (laughs) Did you know that?
0: I didn't know that. That's actually really cool.
1: Yeah, she's like, yeah, she's eclectic. I love her. Uh, She also writes songs and she um, produces records. She was born and raised in Los Angeles. um, And she started making music and releasing it on SoundCloud as a teenager. Um, Her songs From when she was like 17, 18, so high, caught a lot of attention, and that kind of led her to get um, her studio album out and released. Uh, She is not afraid to like make fun of herself as she made some of her songs moo, you know, I'm a a cow, I'm a cow bitch. She has that song that everyone loves, like with a really weird YouTube video where she's literally dressed as a cow. You absolutely do. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't heard it, you must, must. She has other singles that people um, have heard quite a bit, uh, Juicy and Tia Tamara," which I love that she went named after, Sister Sister, because that's one of my favorite shows growing up. Uh, She is, she's just herself, and I love that. Like, she is not afraid to be herself. She's not afraid to, you know, put herself out there and, like I said, make fun of herself, but also she's incredibly intelligent with her music, with her rhymes. With her producing and with her lyrics, she's amazing. Um, she does have several songs besides Boss Bitch, Say So, and Street, which topped the Billboard Hot 100. Um, and she's also released several remixes with Nicki Minaj, Ariana Grande, Ozana, and our favorite, The Weeknd. Yes. Yes, I would like to say Doja is also very smart and is using social media to rock her game. Okay, she is using TikTok and YouTube and Twitter and everything else, Instagram, to get herself out there. She knows how to work it and she's making it work for her. She has one of the highest say-so that song has been used like over Mm -hmm. 2.5 million times on TikTok to make different TikTok streams. It's one of my personal favorites because it just makes me wanna roller skate and I love it. And that's what a lot of people do to that song. Um, She has been nominated for three Grammy Awards and has won two American Music Awards in addition to MTV Video Music Award for Push Best New Artist and also won in the European MTV counterpart. For this song, Boss Bitch, she was approached to write the song for the soundtrack. This was the soundtrack's like third teaser single that they released before they released the actual album. Um, So this song, when she was approached to do the song, um, they wanted to show off in the lyrics in the song how people will always talk shit about you and try to bring you down, but you always have to rise above them, which Harley is doing because we find out tons of people hate her once they realize that um, her and the Joker are no more. And that is what Doja wanted to represent in the lyrics. Um, she calls it a poppy-feely, mixy song of scents and cowbells, but is a fiery clapback at all of her haters. <laughs> and she does also feature um, several of the cast in the music video that she did for Boss Bitch. Um, This song was listed as the 27th Best Song of 2020 so far by Billboard, and it did win NME's 12th Best Song of 2020 um, at the New Year's Eve uh, Best Songs of the Year. Sorry, I couldn't think how to word that. Um, This song hasn't been covered by anyone yet that's, like, very well known. I saw a lot of covers just on YouTube, um, but I'm waiting for a metal version of this song, so let's get to it. Pop is punk. I would love to hear a cover of this song. So yeah, and like I said, this song shows us um, Harley just being herself, being out there, being crazy, drinking, trying to deal with her pain, and um, Doja did a great job of representing how even though Harley is dealing with shit and dealing with haters and emotions, she is still out there letting people know that she is a boss. She is a bitch and she's going to get her shit done
0: i'm liking your idea for a an eventual metal cover of boss bitch
1: oh hell yeah can you imagine
0: i would like to yeah (laughs) we've talked before about the the punk goes pop or pop goes punk or 80s goes punk or whatever yeah are they still coming out with those
1: um yes but i haven't seen a new one however like (laughs) I'm not going to lie, one of my favorite things to do is like when I really have nothing else to do, I go on YouTube and I love listening to like any kind of song from any genre, like country, rap, rap, um, pop, you know, whatever turned into metal songs. Um, I love like instrumental versions. Like I love when it's like on cellos or violins and it's like metal cello or like I just I love it. It's one of my guilty pleasures. And so I would love for the song to be turned into like, can you imagine like System of a Down or Kill Switching Gauge or Slipknot covering the song? Like, <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, that would be it, pretty cool.
1: It just makes me insanely happy. And I'm hoping, you know, someone will do it. So maybe one day. Um, but yeah. So, and that, um, That leads us into our next part of the film where, after this, um, Harley goes out with some of her friends from the roller derby. They're getting margaritas, and she tells people like, she still has the Joker necklace on, and she overhears them basically talking shit about her like, oh, she's never gonna, you know, they're never gonna be fully done, whatever. And this is when um, Harley. Drunkenly decides it's time.
0: So at this point, Harley is on foot and she walks out to this side of Gotham that we haven't seen in the film yet. And she talks about how every couple has their spot. And her and Joker's spot was a highly toxic industrial processing plant, which, if you think about it, is pretty fitting. Very fitting. (laughs) And so she's drunk. And she decides she's going to steal an 18 wheeler. As soon as this idea pops in her head, and she's like, I've got the best idea, she's drunk. <laughs> we hear a song come in called Jokes on You by Charlotte Lawrence. Harley hijacks an 18 wheeler while the truck driver is preoccupied. And she starts to drive it toward the industrial processing plant. And as she's driving, we see these flashbacks of all these vats of chemicals inside of the plant. And we watch in slow motion as Harley Quinn, who still looks like herself as Harlene Quinzel, with she's still very much herself before joker and she's falling we see her falling as she drives like we were cutting between her flashbacks of when she changed herself for joker and now that she is finally done with joker and she rips the necklace off we see in the flashback that she splashes into the vat of chemicals And as she's driving, she's just, her eyes are bloodshot and she's got tears coming down and she's staring at her destination and she just says, this is where it all began, Pudding. And we see Joker pull her out of the vat and she tosses the necklace out the window and she's just like, you motherfucker. And she makes it to where the truck is going to continue to drive. And she jumps out of this 18 wheeler.
1: And, had...
0: and it is the most beautiful explosion. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It is so colorful, they're fireworks. Just everything goes off inside this plant, and this 18-wheeler crashes into it. And she just stares up at this amazing explosion that she created, and she says, it was the closure I needed. And so she walks away. But I wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation. This is our story. And I'm telling it, so I'll start where I fucking want. <laughs> <laughs> and so eight minutes into Birds of Prey, we get the title card. So, this song, Jokes On You, is the song that we heard, like, very briefly as an instrumental during her animated montage with her backstory, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's also an instrumental version that plays at the ending credits as well. Uh, but this is the most prominently placed use of the song. The song is written by Cara Salamando, who also wrote songs for Dua Lipa and Kesha. Oh, nice! Uh, alongside Iman Royal, who wrote for Panic at the Disco and the Chainsmokers, as well as four songs from the Birds of Prey soundtrack, and a British composer named Daniel Pemberton, who also worked on Ocean's 8, Into the Spider-Verse, and Enola Holmes. As far as the performer, the singer on this song is a girl named Charlotte Lawrence, who was born and raised in L.A. I didn't find a whole lot of information about her because I think she's still a fairly smaller artist. I want to say Birds of Prey is probably the most popular thing she has done so far. A lot of the info that I got about her was straight from her website. Um, So I'm going to take it all as true because I figure she wrote it. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So Charlotte Lawrence was born and raised in L.A. Some of her earliest influences include the Beatles and Cat Power. She has been playing piano since she was five and guitar since she was 13. She made her debut in 2017 with her EP entitled Young. In 2020, she said that while she does love all of her previous work, she was still very new to the music business and industry, and she hadn't yet found her sound. And so since then, she has been experimenting with electronic beats and melodies. And she says that her dream is to one day play the Hollywood Bowl that's awesome. Yeah, so it's kind of amazing that she's she's fairly indie. Like she's very indie and this is a this was kind of a big film like it's DCEU. It's Margot Robbie who I think these days is the equivalent of Julia Roberts. Like she's in everything.
1: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: You know, she's, like
1: she's another amazing actress too. Like she's so diverse also.
0: Yeah, and I feel like at this particular time, Margot Robbie is an actress who is very high in demand. Like Quentin Tarantino has worked with her. And you know, she's she's signed on to how many movies with Harley Quinn as Harley Quinn herself? Like, I mean, she like you said before, she produced this one, she was the one with the idea for this one. Like Margot Robbie's kind of a cash cow right now.
1: <laughs> right. And she's like a she's like a quadruple threat. Like the girl can do everything.
0: To me, this song is probably my favorite on the soundtrack. I think that it sings of a pain and of a, a hopelessness that all of us as human beings have felt at some point with someone in our lives.
1: Absolutely, this song is very deep on so many different levels, and I love that it—the title—like we get that it's an homage to the Joker, and it's like that love, like, that relationship, yeah, you thought, it it, it really is, like, it's so deep on so many levels for Joker and Harley, and I don't know if that was intentional or not, with the title, if this was written specifically for this, brilliant.
0: Yeah, it, it was written specifically for the soundtrack, yeah. Just a great, great song, and I remember when I saw this in theaters, I shed a little tear myself during this scene, because, you know, don't we all wish that... <laughs> That we could get that kind of closure by blowing some shit up and just walking away. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I love this song. Really, really good scene and very emotional and very relatable. And it's good to see that she was finally like putting her foot down and being like, okay, like I am on my own. I'm willing to be on my own.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It shows that she's strong and it's a song that emulates that.
0: So we get a little further into the movie, and by now, some stuff has happened. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much in this movie. So everybody finds out that Harley Quinn is not with the Joker anymore. So now everybody wants to kill her because she doesn't have that protection, that immunity. At the same time, There's a crossbow killer going around killing henchmen and there's a detective named Renee Montoya who is trying to figure out who the crossbow killer is and she thinks that the crossbow killer is associated with Roman Sionis, who she's also trying to build a case against because of a diamond. Okay. And then, (laughs) no, I have to, we have to talk about the breakfast sandwich.
1: Oh, we have to. It's a must.
0: The morning after Harley has blown shit up, literally, she is in the mood for breakfast. And she knows exactly what she wants. She wants a breakfast sandwich. It's got ciabatta bread buttered with bacon and eggs and American cheese with a dash of hot sauce. Just a dash. She wants to taste the cheese.
1: And the way she smiles when she
0: says it. Dude, um, I cracked up when I saw <laughs> that scene always makes me laugh. And dude, do not watch this movie on an empty stomach, guys, because it will not be empty for long.
1: No, it absolutely will not. In fact, this this movie has inspired Misa, myself, and my daughter. We have all recreated Harley's Perfect Breakfast Sandwich.
0: It was balls. Of course, oh,
1: Yes, so good. Well, I mean, we didn't have the Armenian hair, but you know, whatever
0: <laughs> yeah, we did we did okay without that, um, <laughs> and the cheese wasn't six months expired, but, yeah, it was amazing, it was amazing. So uh, on top of that, there's also a foster kid named Cassandra Kane, who's also a pickpocket. Black Canary is now the driver for Roman because the man whose legs Harley broke was actually an undercover cop trying to help Renee build the case. So now she's trying to get Black Canary to kill, build the case with her. And Black Canary's like, no, fuck that. You weren't there for my mom. I'm not going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of story.
1: This is also when Roman realizes that Harley um, and Joker are no longer together because. Uh, Victor lets him know and so he sends Victor to go get her along with the men and then they're going to cut her face off and Harley's like no 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 I can help you I can help you you know I know this town better than anyone um and so she's like you're missing something so she realizes that the diamond is missing and she's going to be the one to go and find it for him um there is a song here that's mentioned but it's going to be covered a little bit later as well but just so much happens and then we get the uh, the beautiful scene where Harley shows up in that gorgeous black hat and makeup and she wants to report a terrible crime.
0: <laughs> and Harley Quinn is she's blasting these police officers with with guns that I can only describe as non lethal mystery men type weapons. Remember mystery men? <laughs> yes I do. Reminds me of that. <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't
1: even think of that. Yeah, they're like these glitter cannon potato bomb things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it kind of looks like a like, it's kind of it kind of looks like when she shoots them, like she's shooting them with the pressure of a paintball gun. But like, a lot, and out with it comes like smoke and glitter and confetti, and it looks really pretty. <laughs> um, but I don't think any of these guys are actually dying.
1: No, 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 they just like get knocked out for a little bit. Is is what I would think, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, I thought so. Like incapacitated.
1: Right. I don't think she wants to add, you know, murder to her list of grievances.
0: And this is the part where we get a freeze frame because Harley Quinn realizes that she is telling the story all out of order. So she decides that she needs to rewind a little bit and she needs to add in a few more details. So she ends up telling us about some of the other characters in this film, one of them being Dinah Lance, who is Black Canary. We see her singing this awesome song, It's a Man's 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 World. And she did her own singing, which was incredible. Yeah, her cover
1: is gorgeous.
0: It really is amazing. And she hits that high note at the end, and she breaks that glass. And it's like, but this is where Dinah meets Harley. And it turns out, like, Dinah's the first person that Harley tells, like, me and Puddin broke up. I understand why Harley did that. Because it's like, sometimes when you have issues, it's kind of easy to tell a stranger because there's no stakes right yeah so it was it's interesting to see harley opening up to this random singer girl who sings at roman's club um so after all this um harley quinn almost gets kidnapped but dinah saves her roman sees dinah kicking ass and he's like oh i want her to be my driver now he sends dinah and victor to go get the Alley diamond. And he tells Black Canary that he wants her to hold on to it when they get it. Next scene, we get this really cool overhead shot of Gotham during the day. Which I don't think we see a lot of Gotham during the day. <laughs>
1: we don't. And it looks fairly normal during the day.
0: It's like Manhattan, like, burrows. Yeah. We get this sweeping shot of Gotham. And a song comes in called Sway by Sweetie and Galaxara. As we go into Gotham, we follow Cassandra Cain. And she is pickpocketing people that she runs by. She's skipping through the sidewalk and she's just like grabbing shit out of people's pockets. She's got sticky fingers is what it was like. At the same time, Victor and Black Canary are outside and she's just acquired the diamond. And she says that, okay, I'm going to hold on to it. And Victor's like, no, I want to hold on to it. And so she gives it to Victor and he puts it in his pocket. As Black Canary goes into her car, Cassandra Kane comes up and tries to pull something from her pocket. And she grabs her and she recognizes her because they actually live in the same apartment building. She helped her out earlier because she heard her parents arguing. So Black Canary grabs her. She's like, what the hell? And Cassandra's like, hey, you're not the only person who gets rich off of dumb white people. <laughs> and Black Canary's like, one day you're going to pick the wrong pocket, sis. And so Cassandra Kane takes off. She's like, whatever. I like this part of the scene because as she walks by Victor, the lyrics come in and they say... Because she reaches into Victor's pocket and pulls Roman Sionis' precious diamond and skips away. And he doesn't even notice.
1: Victor has no idea. And it's crazy to me. Like, how do you not notice? Or maybe I'm just like a psycho and feel like I'm going to constantly lose things. So I like, if I know I have something valuable in my pocket, I'm constantly like touching my pocket, feeling my pocket to make sure it's there.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. And so, and even so, like he's wearing slacks. Like, wouldn't you feel the weight lift just a bit off of your leg? You're right. They're a little tight. Yeah. <laughs> so, whatever, dude. He's an idiot. So, she takes off with the diamond and he doesn't notice. She grabs a few other things from a few other people before she finally gets cut off by a cop. And a man accusing her of stealing something from him. Cassandra's just like, oh man, like she knows she's caught now. And Victor is watching all of this happen and he's laughing about it. And as he sees them take her into the back of a police car, he reaches into his pocket and realizes that the diamond is missing. Dinah runs up and she's like, where's the, he's like, where's the diamond? I just fucking had it. It doesn't take long for Dinah to realize what happened. And she starts running after the cop car with Cassandra in it. And it takes off before they can stop it. This song, I did the equivalent of a workout researching this song. Okay? Really? Song <laughs> can we talk out. about I this? I love this song. All right. So this song dates back to... 1953, when it was originally written in Spanish. Damn. The original Sway was a completely different genre with completely different lyrics in a different language. So long before Sweetie added her mix, before Dean Martin ever sang this song and found success with it, this was a Bolero Mambo song. Before it was Sway, this song was called Quién Será and was written by Pablo Beltran Ruiz, a Mexican composer. I love it. He and his orchestra did perform and record a version of this song in 1953, as well as a man named Nelson Pinedo, who recorded this with La Sonora Matancera. But this song was written with a particular singer in mind. Can you guess who? Who? Pedro Infante.
1: That's what he was written for?
0: Yeah. Yeah, this song was written specifically for him. Like, they, they penned this with him in mind. They wanted him to perform this song. Huh. So, in case you may not know who Pedro Infante is, long story short... Uh, He's a beloved, if not the most beloved, movie star in Mexico. He Mm -hmm. was an actor and a singer. And in less than 20 years, he made 60 movies and recorded nearly 400 songs.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it's way up there.
0: Yeah, I would say that he's, he's perhaps considered the Elvis of Mexico if Elvis had made good movies.
1: Right, he's like Frank Sinatra and Elvis had a kid, like his popularity.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like that that crossover ability that he was an actor, he was a singer, he was a performer, like he did it all. So the original lyrics for this song, Quien Será, translate to who will be the one who loves me? Who will be the one who gives me their love? I don't know if I can find her. I don't know. I don't know. I do not know if I will love again. I have wanted to love again, the passion and warmth of another love that would make me happy, like I was yesterday. Aww. yeah, it's very
1: sad. How like that's what was was it the same um,
0: tune or melody? Yeah, it was exactly the same. What the hell? Yeah. Wait, was that it yeah, it's 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 pretty sad and so when when you hear it in Spanish of course it's so much more effective.
1: Yeah, always is.
0: Yeah. So many artists have covered this song in its original quiencera form, such as Trio Los Panchos, Celia Cruz, mm. Los Albas, and Julio Iglesias.
1: Really? Oh my gosh, are we gonna get all the covers?
0: Yes, and that's just naming a few. Like, there are quite a few covers of both this version and what it came to be, which it was not until 1954 when songwriter Norman Gimbel, who you may recognize as the writer of The Girl from I, Panama, and Killing Me Softly, as well as the theme songs for TV shows like Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and Wonder Woman.
1: Shut your face.
0: Yep, he took the Spanish lyrics, he tweaked and rewrote them in English. It's way sweeter than the broken-hearted, forlorn person, you know.
1: Yeah, sad as fuck song.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that song came to be known as "Sway." And when I was a kid, I remember it used to be in commercials for, like, Italian restaurants and shit.
1: I absolutely agree with you. Like, I think of, like, Italian or, like, I don't know, maybe even, like, Brazilian or something, like, something, you know, not American.
0: (laughs) So the most famous version of Sway was, of course, recorded by Dean Martin Mm -hmm. and Dick Stable's orchestra. His version of the song... Peaked at number 15 on Billboard Magazine's best selling chart. Some of the artists who've covered this version include British electronica band Shaft, Michael Buble, and the Pussycat Dolls.
1: They covered it?
0: Yeah, and apparently their cover is one of the more popular ones because it got its own section on the Wikipedia page. Oh, wow.
1: I don't like that. Sorry, I'm your opinion. <laughs>
0: You know what though? I, there were a couple. There was like a song of theirs in high school that I loved, and me and my friend, we danced to it at homecoming, and it was Is like, it, don't you, don't you? Oh hell no! It was um, fucking, what was it? Oh, what was it called? Buttons.
1: Oh, I don't think I know that one.
0: I love buttons. I will send it to you. Okay, I don't love- need
1: to hear. <laughs> don't you ruined it for me? And, like, I never gave him a chance after that.
0: I can't think of any girl who would ever enjoy that song.
1: Because it's awful. It's fantastic. Because you think it's you. Because you think you're the girlfriend. That. Exactly. Who does that? We're supposed to build women up. And here we are talking about, yeah, your man wishes.
0: No, mm. ma'am. Sit the fuck yeah. On. It yeah. wasn't. Yeah. No. Buttons, to me, was the superior song and i i always liked that one way better it was it was if i had guilty pleasures it would be it would be that one it's a okay, fun well, song delicious. i'll send it to you
1: what do you mean if you had guilty pleasures do we not have guilty pleasures i don't
0: believe in guilty pleasures i don't believe in guilty pleasures i don't think i should feel guilty about any pleasure does that make sense you're right <laughs>
1: yes it does it does i just want to say i do not feel guilty about loving my metal covers at all. I will blast them proudly. It's just the euphemism that's <laughs> using.
0: Yeah. I mean Dave Grohl even said like he's he says like, you know, there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. If you like Kesha, then listen to a fucking Kesha record. Like who cares? Yeah. It's an
1: oxymoron basically.
0: I don't really feel guilty about Good for you. my love for buttons by the Pussycat dolls. Sue me. So what? Not at all, not at all. <laughs> here. I'm intrigued. The version of Sway that we hear in the film, finally I'm at the I'm at the part that, that means the most. Later. Here we go. The version that we hear in this film is by Sweetie and Galexera. Sweetie's real name is Damonte Harper, and she penned this song along with Quavius Marshall, Earl Patrick Taylor, Randall Hammers, Adam David Small, Rihanna. Kering, Michael Pollack, Tia Scola, Mitch Hansen, Jacob Uchorzek, Norman Gimbel, and Pablo Beltran-Ruiz. Wow. Those last two, of course, were Norman Gimbel, who wrote the Dean Martin version, and Pablo Beltran-Ruiz, who wrote the OG OG version.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's a lot of people.
0: It is quite a few people, indeed. Sweetie started her career uploading her raps to Instagram in 2016. She released a song on SoundCloud in 2017, gaining her the attention of Max Gauss, a producer. In January 2018, she was named Artist of the Week by Title. What?
1: Okay, Title. You win I one put that thing. in
0: there for you. You win one
1: thing, Title.
0: <sighs> I saw that. Like normally, I wouldn't have written that down because fuck Title. Ugh, I hate them but I was like, let me put it in for Frankie. I fucking hate
1: title. Way to go, title. You got one thing right.
0: Well, yeah, Here, here's their one redeeming quality. There you go. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever seen them pop up on a Wikipedia article. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we can stop talking about it. Her songs perform very well, with many appearing on Billboard's Top 100 in the U.S. and the singles charts in the U.K., while I was in the midst of researching her for this film, her recent tweet popped up. I don't know if you've heard about her breaking up with that guy or whatever. No, what guy?
1: Who's she dating? Give me the tea.
0: She was dating this guy I who I had never heard of. And that's probably because I'm so out of the loop on music these days because I'm 70. She was dating this guy and she, like, I came across her Twitter because everyone was sharing it because they were like, oh, good for her, she, women's, in, like, da-da-da-da, no one to walk away. Oh, yeah, I
1: looked up. I totally know who she was dating.
0: Yeah, the, she, I can't remember Quavo. his name. It starts with a Q, Quavius?
1: Quavius is his real name, but Quavo, for amigos, yeah.
0: Okay, there you go. Yeah, as she tweeted the, I'm single, I've endured too much betrayal and hurt behind the scenes for a false narrative to be circulating that degrades my character. Presents don't band-aid scars, and the love isn't real when the intimacy is given to other women. Oh, damn. She called him out, and uh, in, in, in such a classy way, too. Yes. That is
1: Beautiful. It sucks that he's listed on this song because he's uh, a Cuevos when you listed. So he,
0: Wait, yeah, Cuevas Marshall. Yeah. So that is literally the first thing I ever saw her tweet. Damn. <laughs> and immediately I was just like, okay, this girl has integrity. Mm-hmm. But you know, good for her. Like, just like Harley, good to know when to step away. You know, good to know when to say like enough is enough because, you know, we deserve better, ladies. Let's, let's let's admit it let's let's normalize admitting that we deserve more
1: yeah and calling out toxic ass men and not accepting it
0: right after cassandra kane is taken away by the cops she's trying to hide all the little things that she stole and she finally pulls the diamond out of her pocket and she decides that the best way to get rid of it for now is to swallow it. (laughs) just like a 12-year-old, huh? Could you imagine feeling that thing wedge its way down your esophagus? Absolutely not, because I choked on an ice cube one time, and it was the worst feeling ever,
1: and I cannot even imagine what it would feel like to swallow a diamond that
0: big. This thing looked like a fucking jawbreaker. Yeah, and we know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, not good, guys. Not good. <laughs> so as Cassandra Kane is on her way to the police station in a cop car, Roman's guys have captured Harley Quinn, which we saw earlier because Renee was chasing her and made her drop her breakfast sandwich. Very tragic scene, by the way. Um so tragic (laughs) (laughs) harley pleads with him like no 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 no! you lost something right a diamond and so she promises like let me find it for you and if your boys find it first you can kill me so he's like okay you have until midnight so that's when she takes off and as she takes off roman actually puts a hit out on cassandra kane and he wants everyone in gotham to know that that little girl has the diamond. And he wants Harley to have competition. And so now it's half a million dollars to find the girl and bring her to him.
1: Yes. And apparently there are tons of mercenaries and, you know, just people working for Roman or people who are, you know, willing to kidnap a child for half a million dollars in Gotham. Everyone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess they're just, they're really in need of, of that cash, that cash money. I mean, I can't blame them. I, I need that cash money. Right, right? I, I need to reinforce my house and, you know, keep all the laughing gas out.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, and it does create a lot of competition for her um, when she shows up at the jail cell, which we did see that a little bit earlier when um, Harley realizes she tell- is telling the story out of order. Um, But now we see her at the jail, and she is trying to find Cassandra. At the same time, Dinah has called Detective Montoya to let her know, like, Cassandra has a diamond. She's like, oh, shit. You know, she knows that she's in the jail because Cassandra has earlier seen Montoya and tells her she smells like shit from the fight with Harley. And her shirt is hilarious. She's in this shirt that says... "Uh." I shave my balls for this.
0: Yes,
1: <laughs> and I hate that they rag on her. That the detective or whatever he's called, the overseer, the police, whatever, the chief. He's like, we do have a dress code here, <laughs> and I'm like, you're such an asshole. She got you know covered in grossness as she's trying to hunt down people and do her job.
0: Right. And you it's know. insult to injury because that guy used to be her partner and that guy is the person who took credit for their case. And that's why she's stuck at detective while he's like the chief.
1: Exactly. He's just a jerk, a jerk. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we see this awesome, um, like we talked about those glitter bomb type potato guns, being shot at people. And, you know, she does eventually find Cassandra and In trying to get her out of the really high tech gel cell, she ends up setting off the sprinklers, of course, and then the water malfunction lets out all of the people in the cell who, you know, as movies would have it, every single one of them has beef with Harley. And so she's trying to get Cass out, and then all of these guys are trying to attack and beat the shit out of Harley for. Various reasons. I don't think any of them really say why. Not right now, anyways. <laughs>
0: well, it's funny because like when she she walks in after she like bashes the security door, they recognize her and they're like Harley, I'm in here because of you. You killed my chinchilla. Like, yes, there's that one. <laughs> and like there there are a couple of things that they they're ridiculous things. They're like, oh, I'm in here because like they're they have their grievances, and she's like, oh yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and she just keeps walking. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's super cute. The chinchilla,
1: I remember Taryn was like, oh my God, she killed her chinchilla? And I was like, it's a movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's just for fun. So not that that's fun, but you know, whatever. So anyways, then she does, you know, beat the shit out of everyone. And Cassandra escaped as well because at this point, Cassandra thinks that nobody's on her side. And they end up going into the... Um, what's it called, like the room for all of the contraband? I would say like evidence room. Yeah, okay, thank you. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. God, SBU would be so sad with me. <laughs> <gasps> what have you learned? Uh, nothing. <laughs> they go into the evidence room, which their evidence room is huge. I don't know if that's standard
0: size. Oh, it is massive because there is this there is this incredible chase scene that happens in the evidence room, right? Cassandra runs away into the evidence room. Meanwhile, we see that this gang of bikers have shown up at the police station, and Harley finds Cassandra in the evidence room. And yeah, this evidence room is huge. Like, it's just shelf after shelf after shelf of just all this contraband, like you said. And it's like the way they run up and down this room, it's like a fun house almost, you would think.
1: I have a freaking car in there, like a minivan, which Harley ended up taking at the end of the fight scene, as well as like a whole, like huge case of cocaine.
0: Yes. And this comes into play because (laughs) in, (laughs) with our next song comes this really cool second fight scene right after the awesome sprinkler fight scene. Uh, So Harley Quinn manages to find a bat in the evidence room and Cassandra Kane is hiding from the Gotham City hunters or the bikers. Harley is fending off the guys and she ends up hiding behind this giant pallet of cocaine, but the guys end up shooting at it anyway.
1: Mm. And
0: then all that white dust <laughs> just kind of sprinkles all over and on top of her. And she doesn't really no. have a choice but to inhale it because she's literally up against a wall of cocaine. which Like a huge wall of cocaine. Which haven't we all kind of dreamt of that at one point? I have. <laughs> no comment. And her face, when she just
1: inhales, it's just like...
0: I know. She's like, mmm, like she revs up like a car. It's so cute. so she's instantly high. And as soon as that cocaine hits her nostrils and into her bloodstream, we hear Spider-Bait's cover of Black Betty. Betty, Betty, Betty Betty. So Harley Quinn comes at them with her bat And she just goes into attack mode, and she breaks this guy's legs, which I guess it's just easy to go for the legs. Like, she's just breaking legs all up and down this shit. Yeah, she's good at that. And so the other guy ends up, like, shoving her into the car door of the minivan, and he ends up choking her. And that's when Cassandra pops up, and Harley's, like, asking for a little help. So Cassandra just hands her a lighter, and Harley lights the guy's beard on fire. (laughs) And so he has no choice but to let her go because his face is on fire. Right. (laughs) And so then Cassandra runs away, and the guy grabs her, and she shoots him. So that was a pretty intense scene, and Harley held her own, which, good for her. That's such a good, like, fight scene. The choreography is awesome.
1: Um, And even though some of it is a little bit, you know... Um, movie-fied, if you will, because it is a little bit harder to break someone's leg. Um, His beard would not have immediately set on fire like that. Trust me, I tried to burn my hair, you know, for science. Um, And it takes a little bit more than just that. But it's still a really, really good scene. I love the way it's shot. I love all the details. And exactly like you said, Harley shows us just how badass she is. And she brings back all those gymnastics um style fighting that she's so known for in the comics and in the animated series. Can we talk about you burning your hair? Uh yeah, I was just like to see it was really for science. Like I was trying to see like which product would make your hair burn faster. And you used your own? I used my hair from a hairbrush, but yes. <laughs> okay. I'm just
0: because I'm picturing you like I don't know what I thought you were <laughs> doing there with my actual hair. No, I'm attached to your dumb. head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, because I guess like the hypothesis would be like hair extracted from a brush versus a hair on a beard on a face. Um, are the variables too different? I don't know. Possibly.
1: Because then you would get into the variable of the coarseness.
0: Yeah, correct? that's true too. And then also, also the product used in the hair.
1: Yeah, so you'd have too many variables to do that, really.
0: Right, right. So maybe we should revisit your experiment at some point, and we're going to need some um, willing candidates.
1: I think this is fine. I mean, there's like yeah, a whole okay. hairstylist who burns hair, cut it. <laughs> you know, hair cut by fire. You know, okay,
0: think of. So- Guys, if you are interested in participating in our experiment, please write in. We are at Hey Soundtrack City on Instagram. DM us. I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> so the song that was playing during Harley's second awesome police station fight in the evidence room was Spider Bait's cover of Black Betty. The origins of this song date back to 1939, and it's believed to be the work of a man named Huddy Leadbelly Ledbetter, an American folk blues singer and musician. The meaning behind the song is up for debate, depending on what you picture when you hear Black Betty. It's a euphemism for different things in different areas of the world. In certain areas of England, Scotland, and the backcountry areas of the U.S., it was a euphemism for bottle of whiskey. Uh, in some areas, it's what they called the whip that they use at southern prisons. And in other areas, it was known for known to be the nickname for a transfer wagon used at penitentiaries. So, lots of different things here. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I like the whiskey. In later versions of the song, Black Betty is referred to along the lines of being some kind of vehicle, like a car or a Mm -hmm. motorcycle or something like that. Some of the information on this song is unverified. I collected as many facts as I could. I also included some of the things that aren't 100% confirmed, but may or may not give us an idea as to where this song came from. So... The first known recording of Black Betty is from December of 1933. It was sung a cappella by a man named James Ironhead Baker and his group, and it was recorded at Central State Farm in Sugarland, Texas. What? Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's amazing. It's literally like 20 minutes away. Sugarland on the map. Fun fact, if true. That's so cool. And there are a few artists who have recorded Black Betty as it was in that early version. In 1973, former guitarist of Lemon Piper's Bill Bartlett formed a group called Starstruck. It was then when he took Lead Belly's song, rearranged it, and recorded it. Regionally, it did very well, and Bartlett's group morphed into Ram Jam. Under this new moniker, they edited Starstruck's recording and re-released it as the song we all know now.
1: One of my favorites.
0: Despite the song being credited to Huddy Ledbetter, who was a black man, the NAACP and Congress of Racial Equality did not appreciate the lyrics and demanded a boycott of the song. Instead, Black Betty by Ram Jam reached number 18 in 1977 in the U.S., it reached the top 10 on the UK singles chart, number 46 in Canada, and Ram Jam's album reached the top 40 in the US. Members of Ram Jam at the time of this recording included Mike Scavone, Bill Bartlett, Howard Arthur Blavelt, and Pete Charles. In this particular film, Birds of Prey, Black Betty is covered by Spiderbait, an Australian alternative rock band hailing from Finley, New South Wales, and who formed in 1991. Members include Janet English on bass and vocals, Cram on lead vocals and drums, Damian Witty on guitar and vocals. They released this cover in 2004, and it reached number one on the ARIA singles charts. And Frankie literally just talked about Spiderbait in our previous episode. So, feel free to go back and re listen to that if you want to hear more about spider bait. I just don't want to sound too, too repetitive. That's okay. Of course, they were in Sugar and Spice. That is right. It, uh, Glock and Pop. Yes. Which is just fun to say. Oh my Glock God,
1: that's and so Pop. Fun. Just
0: Francisco. <laughs> that's fun to say, Francisco. So that was that sequence. And I love I love how right after the Black Betty fight sequence, Renee Montoya runs into the evidence room and she's pointing a gun at Harley and she says, you. And Harley's even more angry than her. She's like, you and she's she's pissed because she made her drop the <laughs> breakfast sandwich. <laughs> like, do
1: you not know mess with a girl in her perfect egg sandwich. All right, so after this fight scene, we do see um, Harley take off in that minivan, you know, that's stored in this ginormous evidence room, Mm -hmm. and she's on the freeway, and people are following her. There's some Frida-looking girl who's trying to kill her, and she's lighting a firework. Cassandra, who is, like, passed out, wakes up, and Harley's like, oh, great, throw this out the window, (laughs) and it literally blows up the whole Frida-looking car. Cassandra's like who the fuck did I just blow up? And she's handcuffed to Harley. We get this whole scene where Harley's like, look, you need to give me the diamond, hand it to me now. There's a hit out for you. She explains what's going on and Cassandra tells her, I can't do that. This is when Harley learns that Cassandra has in fact swallowed that diamond and now has further complicated things for Harley and herself. Harley takes her to the grocery store. They're shopping around. Harley gets a whole bunch of X lax, and Cassandra's like, Ew, I don't want to do that. Harley's like, Look, either we do it this way, or and then she picks up a knife, or we do it this way. And Cassandra grabs the X lax. She laughs. We have a little bit of a bonding moment between Cassandra and Harley. It, it seems like Cassandra really looks up to Harley. She wants to be like an independent, you know, badass woman who has her own business, and is living a life, shopping at this fancy grocery store. Um, we do see Harley tell her backstory, and Harley's like, you know, no one can be like me. There is only me. And then she goes on this kind of little tangent about, first, you would have to, you know, go to school, get your PhD, fall in love with your patient, jump into a vat of poison or whatever, radioactive stuff, and then go to jail, get out of jail, go to jail, get out of jail. Blow up a bomb, blah, blah, blah. Like this whole spiel. It's super funny how she tells it. And then she says, and second, I'm not paying this much for a cucumber and a water bottle. It's like $7, which is ridiculous. It seems kind of like a, um, a world market-esque store, if you will. Um, Harley's like, I'm not paying for this. I'm robbing the store. So they take the cart, they run out. She literally runs over this poor worker. With the car, yes. and I'm think in my mind, I'm like, y'all could have grabbed her. Like, it's not. That.
0: Oh, I know she's little, and the girl she's with is even littler.
1: Exactly. So they escape the grocery store. They go to Docs, which is the restaurant where she um, lives. Harley lives on top. She introduces her to Cass and says, "Like, this is the only man who cares about me." And they go upstairs. You know, they're again kind of connecting. Harley is realizing she does have a soft spot for Cass, and that it's kind of nice to have her around this company. They're sitting around watching Looney Tunes and eating cereal. And at this time, Huntress comes into the restaurant. We don't officially know it's Huntress yet. Harley has forgotten to introduce her. And she orders um, the Mongolian beef mild, which is not how Harley likes it. Um... And then she speaks in Mandarin to Doc and says, you know, I hear you know everyone in this town. And he's like, everyone except for you. And we get her. They call me (laughs) the crossbow killer. The crossbow killer. Crossbow killer. And then Harley says, oh, my bad. I forgot to introduce her. And she says, Huntress. Um, which I think is so funny that everyone calls her the crossbow killer because I mean that's just you know kind of common I guess or like what would make
0: sense if you will <laughs> yeah it's funny because like because she, she's she keeps practicing her like do you know who I am do you know who I am <laughs> and, and then she's she's introducing herself as they call me and it's like they don't actually call you huntress <laughs> right right I think it's so funny that she's like so badass
1: and she's got horrible social skills.
0: Yeah, she's got anger issues.
1: (laughs) Like, this girl cannot have a normal conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, she can't even really, like, fist bump you or high five you with good timing. It's it's so funny. She did so good playing that awkward. Because it's obvious,
1: like, she spent her time focusing on fighting and, you know, revenge. She didn't work on how to have a conversation with someone, you know, the social etiquette of, social reciprocity in a conversation. You know what I mean?
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: um, So she wasn't... She's. It's It's very obvious that she's not skilled at those. But anyway, so we're introduced to the Huntress or Huntress or the Crossbow Killer, whatever you want to call her. They call her several names.
0: In addition to being the Crossbow Killer slash Huntress, da, da 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 she's actually Helena Bertinelli. Yes. And she is actually the rightful heir to the bank accounts that are stored in the diamond that Roman wants because her whole family was assassinated. And she just happened to survive. And one of the guy's assassins didn't have the heart to kill her. So he sent her to live with his family. And they raised her to be an assassin. And she has since vowed revenge on all the men who shot her family dead.
1: Back at the um, police station this is when Montoya finds out that uh, Yee, the one who's like the DA, I guess, uh, went behind her back and told Erickson that she stole evidence from a crime scene. And so Erickson does suspend Montoya. And, you know, it's obvious, like, Montoya really is trying to get justice. She really is, she really is a good cop. And she is just stuck in this, like, following everything, you know, by the code, and she's not by the book, because she knows that that is not how they're going to catch Roman. Um, and at the same time, this is when Harley's apartment becomes under attack by one of Roman's goons. And they like literally throw this giant, it looks like a slingshot, right? Like a huge ball of dynamite. I, yeah, yeah <laughs> dynamite. It's very cartoonish. Yes, at her apartment. And, of course, while doing so, poor Bruce runs over there and goes missing. Harley freaks out. She starts grabbing what she can. She worries about Doc, and they go downstairs, and they realize that Doc is the one who sold her out to Roman's goons because they paid her will. And Harley is literally crushed because this was the one person who she thought really, really cared about her and he's like, it's just business. And This, I think, is actually the saddest part to me because, like,
0: you can see how crushed Harley is. Oh, I, yeah, I agree. I wrote in my notes, like, this is the saddest part because, yeah, like you said, like, he was the only person she thought she could trust. And he sold her out because they paid him well. And so this is when she decides, like, you know, she, her narrator comes in and she's like, this next part ain't pretty. And she says, like, you know, he's right. Business is business. And she sets aside her newfound kind of love for Cassandra. And she goes to a telephone booth and she calls Roman and she tells him, like, I got the kid. And if I bring her to you, I want everybody off my back. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he's like, I can guarantee your safety. I own this town. Bring me the diamond and you will be safe. And it sounds so sinister, but it's like, and and this really is the saddest part because as she's on the phone with him, she's like looking at her reflection in the glass of the telephone booth. And you can tell that she's disappointed because she didn't want someone's help or protection anymore. She wanted to be on her own and it was too hard to be on her own. And she feels like she can't do it. And so she's back to needing a man to save her and to protect her and to make her feel safe. And it's just, this isn't the direction she wanted to go. So as soon as Harley and Cassandra start walking to the booby trap, we get this beautiful cover of Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Adona. Yeah. Roman calls for his henchmen. At the same time, we see Renee at her apartment, and she's ripping all the stuff off her mirror that had to do with the case. Photos, copies, evidence, all that stuff. She's ripping it all off of the mirror, and she's going to burn it. At the same time, Harley convinces Cassandra that they're going to go somewhere safe. That's when Roman tells Victor, like, yeah, we got them. So he orders Victor and Black Canary to go get her and bring Cassandra back. So Black Canary doesn't really want to go, but, I mean, she works for Roman, so she goes. And we see that Renee is about to light all the stuff on fire. And that's right when she gets a text from Dinah. And Dinah tells her, like, meet me at the booby trap. Hurry. And so all this is happening at the same time. Everyone's on their way to Amusement Mile. And we even see Huntress on her bike. And we have a good idea where she's going to. There's a break from the music here. And this is when Victor sees that Dinah has been texting someone, and so he makes her pull over. He calls Roman, and he's like, she betrayed you. Roman says, like, no, don't kill her. I'll come to you, and he puts on the black mask.
1: Yes.
0: Chills. Hit Me With Your Best Shot was written by a man named Eddie Schwartz. This song is perhaps his most well-known work. Some of the other songs he has written include Don't Come To Me, The Doctor by the Doobie Brothers, and When There's Time For Love, sung by Lawrence Gowan. This song, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, was originally performed and recorded by a woman named Patricia Andrzejewski, otherwise known as Pat Benatar. The one and only. My number one woman in rock. (laughs) This song was released as a single on September 15th, 1980, and was featured on Pat Benatar's second album, Crimes of Passion, released August 5th of that same year. Crimes of Passion held the number two spot on Billboard's 200 for five weeks in the U.S. in early 1981. The only album above this was Double Fantasy by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so that's pretty amazing. That is. This song was Pat's first top 10 single. This album has been certified platinum four times in the U.S. and five times in Canada. In Billboard magazine, their 1981 year-end album rank placed this album at number five. The album's performance peaked at number two in Canada and in France. It peaked at number six in New Zealand. Crimes of Passion earned Pat Benatar her first Grammy Award in 1981 for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance. So, of course, in this film, we get a cover by Adana. I didn't find a whole lot of information about her, hence why I kind of covered a lot of Pat's uh, accomplishments with the song. But Um, I did get some info about Adana from Spotify, from her About, but as far as I could see, she doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, so if you're an Adana fan, if you want to make that happen, I'm sure she would appreciate that. (laughs) Um, But what I did learn about her is that she is a Nashville-based creative, and in addition to this film, her music has been featured in Lucifer, Pretty Little Liars, and Batwoman.
1: Wow, um, I'm surprised there's not something on her because her voice is so amazing too.
0: Yeah, and this is a really beautiful rendition of the song. Like it's it's very ballady and haunting, and yeah, I I really like like the register of her voice. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's very
1: like um not whimsical, but it's kind of like a whisperesque thing, if you will. And she hits these minor tones that make the song just, uh, it's like that haunting, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's as soon as the moment I was watching this in theaters and this song came on, I was just like, oh my God, I didn't think the soundtrack could get better. And it did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One tiny fun fact that I wanted to include about this part of the film. In that scene while the song is playing and Renee is about to light everything on fire, her TV in the background is on. And the footage shown on that TV is actually Arlene Sorkin as the court jester on the episode of Days of Our Lives that inspired Paul Dini to create Harley Quinn. Shut up. Isn't that cool? It's those tiny details I love. I know. I love that. I love that someone put that there. I thought that was really cool. And I remember like the first time I watched it, I remember looking at that TV screen and I was like, what is that? Because it's very like it's blurry because it's in the background. But you can tell it's like a clown figure. It's very pastel white and the footage looks old. And so when I found that out, that it was actually Arlene Sorkin from the original source material, like that was really cool.
1: That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So, well, a lot happened after that part. <laughs> we, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail except for we know that Roman has met up with Harley, or who he thinks is just going to be Harley and Black Canary at the booby trap. Um, Victor does tell Black Canary or Dinah, I'm sorry, to um, gut Cassandra, who Harley has duct taped to a toilet to help her shit out the diamond. Um, and we also see Huntress come in. We see Montoya come in. Um, and then at this point, we realize that Roman has brought in like all of his people to repay Roman for everything that he's done to protect them and it literally turns into a fight against all these men and the five women in a fun house and the women kick ass. What I do want to mention about this scene is how you can see all of the women and their specific fighting style during the choreography of this fight scene. Um, and also one thing that I think is hilarious is they go down this giant slide um, and Huntress is jumping down like on this a henchman, I guess, and she like takes a knife and stabs him as she's riding him down the slide. And she comes down and Harley's like, you are so
0: cool. <laughs> yeah, that part was cute because she's like, "What?"
1: <laughs> yeah, and then there's another part where she's like, "We should totally get daiquiris and have like a sleepover."
0: It's <laughs> like Harley Focus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. So cute. So yes, all the women end up beating all the henchmen that are inside the fun house They are trying to escape. There's tons more men out there shooting at them. They do end up taking Cass in the car with Roman. Um, Black Canary and Harley look at each other and she's like you know what you have to do cover me and Black Canary does let out her supersonic yell thing whatever you want to call it sound I don't know the specific term for it.
0: She goes Sindel on their ass if you're a Mortal Kombat fan (laughs) like she yeah supersonic scream and it blows them all away.
1: Yeah and Harley's covering her ears she's on her roller skate she ends up being uh, Following them, she gets knocked over by a couple of henchmen, but Huntress comes and saves her and like kind of um, Pulls her up into Roman's car. She's able to kill Roman's, you know, henchmen They end up on this pier where they have a final showdown and Roman does end up being blown into bits because Cassandra uses a grenade and that's when all the girls are united They have finally defeated Roman and all of his goons, and they celebrate the only way you celebrate, blowing up a man, margaritas. And so they go and get tacos and margaritas. They still have blood and stuff all over them. And at this point, um, Harley's like, if that burrito doesn't make you shit out that diamond, I don't know what will. And sure enough, Cassandra goes to the bathroom. Uh, And she calls Harley eventually for help. All the girls are kind of laughing and they're like, you know, we were badass. They fist bump. This is the awkward moment where Misa brought up how Huntress is like, I will also hit your fist and get in on that.
0: (laughs) Yes. And like right before it, they're all like, oh, I love the name Huntress. Yeah, that's awesome. They're like complimenting each other. And then Huntress is like, "I, I really like the way you are able to kick really high. In those tight pants. <laughs> Just
1: like that. It sounds so scripted, but it's so her character, and it's hilarious.
0: It's she's so Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is, well, she was already super cool when she was Ramona Flowers, and then she gained even more points when she was 10 Cloverfield Lane. But now she's Huntress, and she's fucking Ewan McGregor in real life. Oh, my God, Please. I know.
1: Please.
0: Oh, my God. Lucky. Lucky lucky. Plus, she's has <laughs> gone to work with Quentin Tarantino. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, group. man. She gets to see Ewan McGregor naked every night.
1: <laughs> All right. So, Cass does run to the bathroom, and then she calls for Harley to bring the colander because she's going to shit out the diamond. So, Harley goes in. The other three are gushing about how great they were, and then they hear Harley and Cass uh, take off in Canary's car. At this time, um, we do start to hear our next song, which is one of my absolute favorites in this entire soundtrack, and it is Woman by Kesha. We hear the song as we kind of get that typical like this is where they are ending if you will harley's telling us where everyone is um montoya has officially quit because of course the chief takes credit for roman and his entire coons um being caught and she like throws the paperwork up she literally is drinking out of a flask with her box as she walks out because she gives no fucks um they were able to get huntress's family's codes off of the diamond and she gets all of the family money and is funding the birds of prey which consists of montoya black canary and huntress harley does sell the diamond at a pawn shop or she pawns it and she gets a nice chunk of change which she invests in her own self her business she does end up finding bruce and being reunited with him and she has made Cass the apprentice And she says that she's not a saucy. She just loves her. The two end up driving off into Gotham in the car that they took from Canary and eating their perfect egg sandwiches. Again, the song that plays during this time is Woman by Kesha, which I absolutely love. It is like the anthem of all
0: anthems for women. Oh, yeah. I'm a motherfucker. Yeah, I love that song. (laughs) It's a good, it's a power song. It's like, mm, yes, it's a driving song, you know. This song is one
1: of my favorites in the entire film, just because it's such a badass song. Um, This song came out in 2017, and it was recorded for her third studio album, Rainbow, and it was released as the first promotional single from that album. It was written, she says, because she decided that she wanted to create a song or an anthem, if you will, that just showed how amazing women are and she said that she just became infuriated with the way the world was specifically um a comment that uh former president donald trump stated um about you know grabbing them by the pussy and that was actually the song that led to the song's creation because she stated that she was a feminist she's always been a feminist and she just talks about how women are badass And she wanted this song to be about badass motherfucking women who you don't want to fuck with. And that's a direct quote. Um, And it literally states that in the song. Um, This song does also feature the Dap King horns. Um, Their official name is Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. And they are an American funk soul band signed to Dap Tone Records. Um, Kesha reached out to them because she wanted some horns in this song, and they brought in the perfect kind of funk and soul that she really wanted to be featured in this song. And it's just it it adds just that extra little bit, if you will. For those of you who don't know much about Kesha, she is um, she well she used to go by the name with the dollar sign, but she has officially changed that. Her real name is Kesha. Um, And she is an American singer. She came out with several hits in the early, like, 2010 era. Um, And then she did stop recording songs after it was brought apart that she was physically and sexually and emotionally abused by her former producer, Dr. Luke. Um, And she did end up suing him. Um, and went through a whole ordeal with him, um, because of the contract that she was in. And so she did stop writing music and producing music, singing music, touring, doing anything because of that whole issue. But some of her hits do include, um, TikTok, blah, 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 Your Love is My Drug, Take It Off, Blow, Die Young, My First Kiss, We Are Who We Are, and Ember. Um she one of the things that I love about Kesha most is that people typically kind of think of her as like that party singer but she actually has a really good voice like she uses a lot of auto-tune to like play around but if you listen to her like raw performances her range is phenomenal
0: yes I absolutely agree and I think that you're right. Like people write off Kesha. Like people don't give Kesha enough credit. I would say two artists that like they use autotune for the sake of like their genre and their sound, but their voices can do so much more. Kesha and T Pain. One hundred percent. T Pain has a great voice. I don't care what anyone says, that man can sing. Holy shit, guys. Like go listen to go to YouTube. I'll yes. uh, put some clips on the blog. Because yeah, Kesha has a great voice and yes. On top of that, like, yeah, she has that particular sound that might not be for everybody. But, you know, if you go in and you learn a little more about who she is, and you read those lyrics, like, I know one thing about Kesha that I learned early on is that she actually got her start because she was Paris Hilton's assistant. Yeah. She has a song literally called Paris Hilton's Closet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just, it amazes me that, that that's kind of how she got her start. And then I remember the whole thing with Dr. Luke happening, and that was awful. And I remember her and Lady Gaga really bonded during that, that era. And I thought that was really sweet, because they're both such advocates for mental health now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, Kesha's definitely underrated. Like, yeah, I, I love Kesha. I, I think she's too. fun. I,
1: I would love to go, like, when concerts are okay, and when I'm fully vaccinated, I will totally be at a Kesha concert if she decides to put on a tour. Like, yeah,
0: let's let's pop Molly and take some glow sticks Hell to Kesha. yes. And, you know, we're not alone
1: in that. She has sold over 33 million tracks and over 55 million worldwide. She's listed as the 26th Top Artist on the Billboard's Decade in Charts from 2010 to 2019. She also received several awards and nominations, including her win for the MTV Europe uh, Music Award for Best New Act in 2010. Um, And not only that, she's also written songs for Britney Spears, Ariana Grande, Miley Cyrus, and Miranda Cosgrove. So, I mean, she really is such an amazing artist. And like you said, people just kind of write her off. Um, but she's so talented and you have to remember that she kind of went by the persona that Dr. Luke made for her. And Mm -hmm. now after all of that, she's finally finding her be, she's able to be her own self and her true self. And we see that in the way she's singing and her style even more so now. So, and she's Mm -hmm. not afraid.
0: We're seeing like her artist evolution, a lot like what's happening with Taylor Swift, who had a similar issue not sexual wise, but like she had restraints on her because of her record deal or something along those lines. And now Taylor Swift is re-releasing shit that like she wanted to do the way she wanted to do it. And now she's releasing it on her terms. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, it's, it's good to see artists like her, like Kesha, like who are done being put in this mold, you know, like they want to do things the way they're going to do it. And I think it's going to, cause for like real revolution in the music industry yes absolutely I love it
1: and that's why we're doing this episode guys women are amazing women are amazing so yeah so this song is definitely one of my favorites in the movie because we do get to see where everyone is we get to see how it's just the perfect song for the ending because we see Montoya quit her shitty job and go out and do what she really wants to do we see Huntress and Black Canary continuing to fight off these awful goons and henchmen and people trying to take over Gotham. Um, and we see Harley finally looking like she's happy and has found her place and is a badass motherfucker. Which is what's on her card, correct?
0: <laughs>
1: yep, badass motherfuckers. <laughs> and she's happy. She's found her place finally and she's feeling successful. She's feeling confident and we can see that in her smile, her makeup, her face and now she has her new little bestie Cass. And as the song ends we then see Harley wink and she's like I haven't gone soft Oh, or she's like, "Don't call me a softie." I dare you. Or whatever she says officially, you can quote me correctly, Nisa, because I'm sure you have it written down. You know better than I do. Um, the
0: the last line, right? The very yeah. last line. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not one. That's not one of the ones that I wrote down. My bad. Um, literally, the last words on my notes are "breakfast sandwich!" <laughs> exclamation point! <laughs> I made note of that
1: for sure. I love it. I love it. <laughs> this is so funny, I love it. So yeah, as she winks, we are introduced to our last song, which is "Diamonds" by Megan Thee Stallion and Normani. This version isn't played earlier in the movie, but we do hear "Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend" um, earlier when. Carly is kind of having her dream sequence, if you will, after Roman slaps her around. So I'm going to kind of cover both of those together, if you will. I hope that's okay. Um, So I'm going to start with the ending song, which is Diamonds. Um, And it is a song by American rapper Megan Thee Stallion and American singer Normani. It was released on January 10th, 2020. And it was the lead single from our soundtrack, Birds of Prey. It does include samples from Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend by Marilyn Monroe. And it's the first song to sample this song, um, according to the music blog, Idolator. And I did look that up on one of the YouTube channels that I mentioned earlier. And as far as I know, that is very factual. This is the first song to completely um, sample that jazz music, as well as some of Marilyn Monroe's voice in the song which you have to listen for kind of faintly, but it is there. Um, this song was written by several people, including Megan Thee Stallion and Armani, as well as Edgar Machucho, Julie Stein, Cameron Glasper, Leo Robin, Lois Bell, Madison Love, um, Centauri, ooh, I'm going to mess up, I apologize, Kapanin, and Tayla Um, And it's a mix of pop and hip-hop, and it is about female empowerment and moving on from relationships. Um, This song is awesome. It's one of my favorites. And Megan and Normani do a great job in this song. Like, they're just so strong, and you can hear it in their voices, and I love it. So a little bit about Megan. She is from... H town, and she grew fame um, from her freestyle on social media platforms such as Instagram. Um, she has blown up since 2018, and when she released her first mixtape Fever, um, and now she is like the woman to be. Everyone wants to have her featured on their songs. Um, she's had Beyonce work with her, as well as Cardi B. Ariana like she is the it girl right now. Several of her songs, um including Savage and WAP that she's been featured on, have reached number 1 on the US Billboard Hot 100. Um and she became the first female hip-hop artist at the 63rd Annual Grammy Awards to win Best New Artist since Lauren Hill in 1999. It has been that long, guys. God, in her voice, too.
0: Love her. Oh, my gosh. I know. The Miss Education album. Wow. Yes. Yes, she's
1: amazing. So just a little bit more about Megan's accolades. Um, she does have several awards under her belt already, um, including two BET Awards, five BET Hip Hop Awards, two MTV Music Video Awards, a Billboard Woman in Music Award, and three Grammy Awards. and 2020, Time named her one of the 100 most influential people in the world on their annual list. I love that she is from Texas. She was born in San Antonio, moved to Houston as soon as she could, and did end up graduating from Pearland High School. I went to Pearland, um, so that's exciting, and she was a student at Prairie View A&M. So, I mean, she stayed in the area. She literally went to school down the street from us. She is all about women empowerment. Um, She is Beautiful, thick, voluptuous, gorgeous, Give zero fucks, love her, love her. Her her rhymes are amazing. Like, she is one of the top women right now, for sure, for sure. Um, and Normani, same thing, she is a phenomenal American singer and dancer, and she's featured on this song as well. Most of you who do know her know that she um, was a member of the girl group Fifth Harmony, Um, which was a part of that American TV series, The X Factor. Um, But she was a part of the group. She did compete in Dancing with the Stars. Um, And then from there, she did also collaborate with lots of people, including um, Khaled, um, Calvin Harris, um, Sam Smith, just to name a few. She's also worked on songs with Ariana Grande and Nicki Minaj for other movies, such as Charlie's Angels, which I thought was cool. I didn't see that movie, but um, that's really awesome that she's been on some other soundtracks. Um, and just a little bit of background information. She was not born in Texas. She was born in Georgia, but she did end up relocating to Pearland, which I thought was very interesting since that's where Megan went to school, um, and they worked together to feature parts of, like I said, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, which is a, a song that was introduced by Carol Channing and the original Broadway production of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, that was sung by one of my favorites, Marilyn Monroe, and I love that Harley does her whole montage of the actual scene in her um, more modern pink outfit, if you will. The very famous pink scene with her pearls and diamonds and all the men fawning over her and then Roman is there and it's just beautifully shot and just a great, great homage to Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend from the Broadway production of "Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. So cute. Just to cover a little bit about
0: Marilyn Monroe. Gosh, I don't even know if you can cover just a little bit about her. Oh, I know. She was only on this earth for so long, but there's like so much about her.
1: Norma Jean. Norma Jean, how I loved you. Gosh, okay, just in a nutshell, I mean, she is an American actress, model, and singer who is known for playing that very perfect, voluptuous, blonde bombshell, and she became one of the most popular sex symbols in the 50s and early 1960s. Um, she was also one of the top-billed actresses for about a decade, and her estimated uh, films grossed what would be now about $2 billion by the time of her death in 1962. Um, she is a major icon of pop culture. Um, I don't know anyone who doesn't know who Marilyn Monroe is. Just by you know, a very stylistic picture, even, people know it's Marilyn Monroe.
0: Yeah, if there was a Mount Rushmore for pop culture, she would be one of the four. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. She has tons of movies under her belt, including How to Marry a Millionaire, Uh, Gentleman Prefers Blondes, Niagara. She did pose for Playboy. She lived her best life. She was a very sweet person. She did struggle with addiction and mood disorders. She was married to a couple famous people, including Joe DiMaggio and playwright Arthur Miller, and supposedly had an affair with a president. You know, conspiracy theories, whatnot.
0: You don't believe that one? I do. But no, not okay. everyone does. Okay, <laughs> you you made it sound like you were kind of shrugging it off, like whatever. No,
1: no, I don't want to speak ill, but uh, you know, people have their theories and whatnot. Um, but she did sadly die at the age of thirty six after overdosing on pills in her home in Los Angeles.
0: And her death is also a source of conspiracy theory. Absolutely, because even though it's it's actually ruled a. Probable suicide which they don't know for sure (sighs) always taken too young i remember when i was in high school and i was watching a a made for tv movie about natalie wood Mm -hmm. and i for those of you who may not know natalie wood was um Maria from West Side Story and a few other things that I I can't name right now. She was famously married to Robert Wagner and famously died on a boat with Christopher Walken and all that stuff. Um, And there's a scene in the made for TV movie where Natalie Wood met Marilyn Monroe. And it's a really sad scene. um, Because like Natalie Wood was still very young and up and coming. And Marilyn is really sweet to her. They sit next to each other in makeup chairs and and Marilyn's, like, asking her about her career and her life and Natalie Wood's just, like, trying to talk as candidly as she can but she's starstruck, you know, because Marilyn was, like, it, you know? Yeah. She
1: and Marilyn,
0: yeah, and Marilyn says something really sad, like, oh, you're so lucky. Oh, it must be so nice to... Or, oh, I wish I could... like." You know, you look at Marilyn Monroe and she was beautiful and, you know, everyone fell at her feet. But at the same time, like she had sadness too. And so Natalie Wood saw her as like a human who had like, you know, weaknesses and stuff. And then in that same movie, like a few scenes later, Natalie Wood finds out that Marilyn Monroe like died and she flips out. Because she's like, I just saw her. I just spoke to her. And she's like, she calls her mom and she's like crying. And she's like, tell me that I'm real. To feel like that, I
1: can't even imagine. Yeah, so
0: Marilyn Monroe's story is actually really tragic if you look into it.
1: Oh, it is. She was married at such a young age. You know, she didn't have very much control over her own life. Um, just such a it's it really is a sad story, and she struggled, and you know that was back when mental health wasn't addressed, you know mm-hmm. um, but she did leave a great legacy behind, and she encouraged women to be themselves, and she is noted as the sixth greatest female screen legend in American film history. Um, as well as one of the 100 most significant Americans of all time. And I just hope that she is forever remembered for her grace and beauty. And I wish she had gotten to live longer. And, you know, just let's continue to normalize mental health and talk about it. And remember that it's okay for women to have these problems, too. We're still strong. We're still amazing. And that is why the song was really important for me to cover because I do love that Marilyn Monroe is included and it's three very strong, powerful women. And I'm just so appreciative that Megan and Normani wanted to include clips of the original in it. So it makes me very happy and it's a great way to scroll through all of our actors and actresses who made Birds of Prey awesome. And so with that, that ends our movie.
0: That was our movie for Women's History Month. A very uh, female estrogen-driven film directed by Kathy Yan, featuring lots of awesome females on the soundtrack and starring another batch of kick-ass ladies. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, uh, do you have any trivia facts? Well, the ones that I love, I love talking about the, you know, who could have been. Um, mm-hmm. And I love Ewan as Black Mask, but I, am, I was interested in who they could have cast for him. Um, and I was a little surprised. There was one person who I really, really thought could actually have played this character very well. Um, and that is actually Sam Rockwell. Um, I can totally see Sam playing this character.
0: Yeah, I think he played a very similar character in Charlie's Angels.
1: Well, yeah, 100 percent Um, and so the other people who were thought of were Nicolas Cage and Charlotte Copley. Um, but Sam was actually considered the archetype, the archetype, sorry, for the casting. Um, and I think Even though as much as I think he could have played this role well, I love seeing Ewan play this role. He was just, like I said, so grossly fun.
0: Mm -hmm. And I loved it. (laughs) There is a professional roller skater by the name of Michelle Stellan, but her roller skater derby name is Estro Jen. Oh, I love Uh, it. (laughs) uh, uh, Yeah, I love it. She was the stunt double for Margot Robbie for this film. Yeah? Yeah. So I found a video of her. She live streamed like her uh, explaining her experience. So she started off with like when she got the call. So she was called by a stunt coordinator who spotted her in a roller derby workout video that was filmed at a stunt gym. And this stunt gym was commissioned to coordinate stunt people for the film. And so they found her video, they sought her out, they were looking for someone to do the stunt where Harley is on the skates and hanging on to the back of a car. Right. And so when they told her like, hey, we want you to be a part of this movie, she was like, I will do it for free if it gives roller skating exposure. I want people to want to roller skate after they see this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And so she was like, yes. And so that's how she agreed to do it. So she was actually Margot Robbie's stunt double for that scene. And it turns out this is actually kind of cute too. She already kind of knew a little bit about the stunt double life because she dated a stunt double from Spider-Man films. What? (laughs) How cute is that?
1: That is awesome. I, I did not know that. That's super cool. Okay, so the last one that I thought was just kind of like a fun little clip it to, not clip it, um, a fun nod to Suicide Squad, if you will, is when Harley is leaving the um, police precinct, and she's like, hey, I know that guy, and it's um the poster of Captain Boomerang, whom she actually worked with in Suicide Squad, um and if you look closely enough, sure enough, it is, and I just thought that was a fun little nod to Suicide Squad so that we do still have that kind of timeline going on, if
0: you will. One thing that I read is that originally, before Black Mask was penned in as the villain, they wanted to use the Penguin. Yeah. But they changed this because he's actually going to be appearing in the upcoming The Batman Mm -hmm. uh, that's coming out in 2022, starring Robert Pattinson as a young Bruce Wayne. Uh, This is about a year into his Batman years, so that's why he's a fairly younger Batman than some of the other guys who've recently been casted in the last decade or so. So that should be really interesting. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. Nothing against Black I'm glad that we got the film that we got, but I'm so intrigued by the thought of Penguin and Harley interacting in live-action films. So
1: Kathy um, was actually the Mandarin consultant Huntress's dialogue with Doc and um, she taught Mary Elizabeth everything during that part Um, and she was very proud of course Kathy was but I know audience and fans quickly praised Mary um, for doing so well with her Mandarin during that scene and speaking so fluently and like a true Mandarin speaker would. I thought that was cool too that Kathy did that as well as, you know, directing and everything else
0: that she's doing. So she was a busy, busy lady. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like she was really hands-on on this film, which I think is great. Oh, yeah. You can tell. For the breakfast sandwich scene, the eggs in the breakfast sandwich are actually duck eggs because Margot Robbie is allergic to chicken eggs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting.
0: Speaking of that amazing breakfast sandwich, there are two YouTubers that we follow that have actually recreated this sandwich. One is Andrew Rea on Binging with Babish, or I guess now he goes by Babish Culinary Universe. And um the other is our beloved Rosanna Pansino who pretty much right after this movie came out, she did she dressed up just like Harley With the jacket and the pigtails, and she recreated this sandwich and she even wrapped it up in the paper, and Mm -hmm. it was perfection. It's so so cute. I will put the videos on the blog. Love it, so good. You guys have to eat it. (laughs) Yes, it was tasty as F. And after this episode, be sure to check out our blog. Find our blog at the link on our Instagram. Our Instagram is at hey Soundtrack city. Click the link there and you will find all resources needed to get the full Soundtrack City experience. <laughs> yes. Love it. So
1: excited. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. We thoroughly enjoyed covering this movie. Um, we spent a great amount of detail and really wanted to make sure we did you guys proud and did justice with this awesome movie if you guys haven't seen it please 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 check it out and for those of you who have go watch it again it's amazing all right guys with that this was
0: Frankie and this was Misa and we appreciate you joining us and making it this far you're a champ all right guys have a great night and
1: we will see you next time bye